100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Connor Brockhouse, Colby Geis, and Ryan Haynes. So we met on a hunt with Quiet Cat in Illinois and sat down one afternoon to talk about spot and stock deer hunting in the Dakotas, Wyoming, and Arizona, and really applies to anywhere where there's open country spot and stock abilities. So we discussed stories from Connor's epic start to the season with a giant velvet whitetail on the ground, a 198-inch monster mule deer in Wyoming, glassing tactics for different times of the day, passive versus aggressive, Arizona over-the-counter mule deer hunting in January, using bow-mounted decoys, the Quiet Cat e-bikes, and much more. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we have a story coming out of Virginia from Joey Beans. And Joey wrote in, 
October came and went. I did not like the area I was in and decided I needed something fresh. Sunday, November 8th, 2021, I went to a completely different area of the National Forest in southwestern Virginia to speed scout and deploy a cell cam. I found awesome sign going in, but coming out, I had the pleasure of being cut off at a draw by a mature nine chasing a doe. Due to no hunting on Sundays in the National Forest, I was forced to watch them at 20 yards for the longest, sickening three minutes of my life. Regardless, it was an awesome experience to be that close to a mature mountain buck. Needless to say, the chase was on. I hunted that area two times in hopes he had her locked down in there, but no luck. Rifle season came in, and so did the other hunters. On November 16th, I decided I would take a different approach since the wind would switch from west to south around 8.30 a.m. and blow up the mountain. With most of the hunters being low, their scent would carry up with the wind pushing the deer up in theory. I planned to hike the leeward side and wait till the wind switched to crest over, stay high, and stalk about a mile towards a bench and a draw. 200 yards into my stalk, I'm on the high side of a giant saddle about 2,800 foot in elevation. Busting behind me in the saddle is a doe. She drops down out of sight. The rut is on, and I know it's coming behind her. Slowly, he appears and stops quartering to me. I ranged him at 102 yards and took the shot. He leaped off the ledge and sounded like he slid down through the leaves. The shakes and panic sunk in. No indication that I had made a good hit besides the sound of leaves sliding and the shot feeling good. I was 50-50, so I waited and glassed for blood. 45 minutes felt like a year, and I just had to know. I eased my way down, and there he was, walking up to a mainframe eight point with a split brow lying on top of the mountain is a beautiful sight. Watching your videos and listening to your podcast gave me more confidence, understanding, and skill. I appreciate all the knowledge and content you put out. Keep it coming. Well, thank you for uh, sending this in, Joey. I mean, this story is awesome from the the standpoint of one, you know, being able to put together such a well thought out game plan. I, I feel like the using that pressure to your advantage and the wind and the thermals and all those things. I mean, you 100% earn this buck a, a great deer. So anybody who wants to check that out, you can head over uh, to East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook and be able to, to check out the photos of that that big eight with the split brow, just awesome deer in the mountains in Southwest Virginia. So congratulations on that. And if you want to send in your mountain buck story, head over to eastmeetswesthunt.com. Uh, fill out the inquiry there and uh, send it in that way. Or you can send it directly to me, which is just bo at eastmeetswesthunt.com. Uh, if you send it through social media, it's a lot more difficult for me to keep track of it. There's so many different places for messages to come in. And uh, I just struggle keeping up with seeing all of the messages they come in. So email is the best way I, I will be able to, to get back to you there and be able to see that. So I appreciate all the submissions that have been coming in. They've been rolling in like crazy, and uh, I'm excited to keep this up and and keep rolling with these Mountain Buck Mondays. Uh, I guess in other words, I I wanted to uh, give a quick intro to this podcast. So just to know, this podcast was recorded back in the beginning of October, partway through the hunt uh, that we did with Quiet Cat in Illinois. So there's obviously some things in there that uh, aren't, they aren't happening right as uh, as this is coming out, but uh, I felt it was timely release this time of year as you start looking at trying to draw Western tags, something that might be interesting to you. Um, also, the discussion about Arizona, January, the Arizona over-the-counter hunt. Um, if anybody's doing that, I thought there were some really good tactics that Ryan uh, talked about in here and just... Um, just really good episode with these guys uh, chasing the wild. Um, so what Connor and Colby are part of subscribe to their YouTube channel, follow them on social media. If you have that, uh, those guys are super exciting. They're young, they're motivated and they're just great hunters. So it's, it's, it's fun to watch them. And I enjoyed listening to some of their, their spot and stock tactics and everything in this episode, along with just some good old stories. Uh, even after this, that we recorded this, they continued on a roll and just had really a great season. Uh, it was exciting to, to be able to watch uh, from afar on that. 
Uh, also, another news. So I was running an apparel sale. I don't think I announced it on the podcast, but I was running an apparel sale. Uh, the website, like the hat I'm wearing here and all the other East Meets West apparel, you can uh, go check that out. Um, I was going to end it there at the end of last week and uh, decided I'm going to run it through the end of the year here. So it's not going to arrive at this point in time for Christmas, but uh, the, I'm still running the sale on some popular items that we have there, some of the Deer Camp collection, some of the Blaze Orange stuff. So go over and check that out if you want and uh, take a look at those those items that we have there. Um and then lastly, uh, the, the Mountain Buck Scouting Camp. So I think I have selected uh, dates that are going to work for everybody. So April 15th, that weekend, is kind of what we're looking at now. Uh, I have it confirmed now with the venue, uh, just working with some of the presenters yet and some of the final details to put that information out. I know I keep saying that, but I just want to make sure everything's right before I do. But I am going to put up like a promo video for it on YouTube this week. So you can, uh, if you subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is just under my name, Bo Martonic, you'll see that video come out. Uh, just kind of showing you a little bit of the experience. I think it's like three and a half, four minutes, but showing you kind of what goes on there. And uh, I'll probably just record like a bonus episode to talk through all the details of it as well um, before registration comes out. So you can kind of have an idea and know if you want to sign up, then you're able to sign up right now because... Last year, like I said, it sold out in less than two minutes. Uh, so, I'm, but I'm really excited. Going to make it even better this year. Uh, Going to have the same people. Hopefully, I, I have half of them that have confirmed so far, as far as helping on the instructor side of it. We're just making better experience, great food, just everything involved, and in, and even adding some VIP packages to be able to stay uh, with us at the camp for a few people um, to hang out for the whole weekend. So a lot of really cool stuff happening, uh, along the lines of the scouting camp. So that's, that's exciting, but, uh, make sure you sign up for the email newsletter at eastmeetswesthunt.com. That's where you will find out first about the scouting camp. All right. Uh, I, I think that covers everything here. Um, this is the last podcast, I, I guess, before Christmas here. So Merry Christmas to everybody and uh, excited to keep rolling through. Um, please, if you have any ideas on specific things you want to hear, um, you know, even questions that, that you want to submit, send them in through email or, or however uh, you, you feel like you want to send those, those uh, comments in. Um, planning out next year and I have an idea on what I think is beneficial but I think it really helps when it comes from you guys looking at doing some extra podcasts some bonus episodes throughout the weeks maybe some Q&A type stuff uh, to try to get to everything because there's so much to unpack in the the whitetail side of things and I want to I want to make sure that continues to be a huge focus but there's also the the western hunting and the adventure side of things that that I don't want to stray too far from. That was kind of a lot of my original purpose for for building this podcast, and and I think there's a lot of beneficial information there uh, for for people to be able to help plan some of their dream hunts or just learn how to to go out of state and try something new. So can try to get all that stuff in here this coming year and continually make this podcast better and uh, as best as possible. If you're watching the video version, you notice that I'm a little bit of a different uh, space here. So got a new desk in my office and sorry about the junk in the background, but trying to clean that up I'm going to do some painting and uh, try to make it look a little bit more like a podcast studio uh, per se. But uh, right now it's just uh, kind of a bunch of stuff thrown around. So but anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate all the, the great reviews and sharing the episode. All that stuff helps out and allows me to continue to do this. So with that being said, again, Merry Christmas to you and your families. And uh, we will talk to you next week. All right. We're live. Welcome to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. And I'm joined from, I guess, my left to left left to left here so got yeah, colby guys here ryan haynes and connor brockhouse welcome to the show guys thanks for having us yeah for sure yeah i'm excited uh we're out here in illinois on doing this quiet cat hunt and nobody's killed any deer yet but uh we, we almost had one go down oh yeah we did kill it yeah, yeah yeah jay did yep, but yep. 
We almost got one last night, though. So none of us have killed anything. Yep. Yeah, that's for sure. Matter, matter of time. time yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. But no, I wanted I wanted to get you guys on uh, the show here because you're from different parts of the the country and do some really cool stuff. So first, I want to start with we'll start with Connor and then go to Colby and then Ryan. A little out of order, but Connor and Colby kind of are a package deal. So yep. let's Connor start with you a little bit bit of a background. You know where you're from, what what kind of what your style hunting's like. Yeah, man. So uh, I actually grew up in southwestern Minnesota doing your uh, typical white-tailed deer hunting, you know, just sitting in a stand. You'd hunt. Everyone would hunt opener. It was a tradition. Um, you'd get one tag. You were very limited. You only would hunt, you know, 10-acre timber blocks. And then uh, I got the opportunity to move out west with my family to uh, western South Dakota. And, man, that just opened up so many different doors. Uh we really started getting into the spot and stalk uh, style of hunting, uh, especially mule deer, you know, going out there and just glassing. I mean, you'd be running your glass for hours upon hours compared to sitting in a tree stand where you barely ever glass. So, you know, our style of hunting, optics are huge. You have to have great optics. Um, and especially for antelope even and uh, whitetail hunting out where we're from, you know, it's all very similar. It's uh, that wide open prairie type hunting uh, to where you're just pretty much spotting and stalking everything, but it makes it fun and you're always moving to new areas. Like it's hard for me to even sit in a tree stand nowadays because I'm so used to just hopping. Yep. And that we love it. I mean, we're so used to it. It's, that's all we love. That's all we want to do is just spot and stalk style of hunting. Yeah. It's funny. So um, not to cut you off there, but I, I was at the total archery challenge in Colorado and I was recording a podcast with chris b and he had introduced me to you um there and that's where you and i first met and he's like he's like you got to get the, the brock house boys on a podcast he's like there's some killers and their whole group from you know south dakota there and and so i was i was excited to to hear a little bit about that but before we go into further into that colby how about you let's give a little background so i'm originally from nebraska the eastern side of nebraska um most of what i've i mean my history with deer hunting or big game hunting in general just goes goes pretty far back but i I wasn't really the biggest uh deer hunter until up until this last year really so i was pretty much balls out for waterfowl that's pretty much all i did i guided waterfowl and all i could think about was geese and then i think it was last year we met up for a mule deer hunt in west nebraska and that sealed the deal and i was hooked and i was like i don't even want to think about about a goose anymore (laughs) so i said done with the geese and I'm all out for deer. Dang, that's so, a hard. That's a hard transition. It's a big change. There. Yeah. yeah, big transition. I literally shot him a text, and uh, now he's pretty much been living with me for the past couple months. <laughs> he's just rolling. We don't even call me Rockhouse. Yeah, yeah, literally. No, literally. We don't think about ducks or geese. It's strictly just we're running for. So yeah, and and before before we go any further, talk about you guys is like the YouTube channel and stuff that you started recently. Yeah, no. So we're uh, we're really excited to uh, begin this journey. Uh, we wanted to do it for a couple years now, and timing and work and this and that just hasn't lined up. And now finally we're starting. It's uh, chasing the wild. It's gonna we're on YouTube now, um, Instagram, all that, and we're just starting to film. All of our hunts, it's very raw. It's very over-the-shoulder type stuff, um, which is kind of our style, though. Though That spot and stock, quick, aggressive, like yeah. we're just moving, mm-hmm. and uh, we're really excited to uh, see where this goes, you know. And um, Talk about get... a killer first year. Oh, oh I unreal. Mean, we've been... You guys just started and you are absolutely smashing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've been on. We've been very <laughs> blessed um, to have the opportunities that we've had the past, just this month, Uh it's been absolutely unbelievable. We've shot some of the biggest deer of our lives, and uh, it's all been on camera for the first uh, season. Yeah, Jason that's, Wild. that's pretty sick. Mm-hmm. And we'll dive into some stories of that in a minute. But I, I did. I just wanted to say, like, I, I think it's it's cool what you guys are doing. You know, it's like it's probably tough. It's like, oh, you know, there's so many channels out there. There's so many of these things going on. But what I liked was I like that raw feeling of the stuff that you're doing. And then just like you just tell you're just a bunch of buddies that just love yep. to have a good time and love to hunt and yep. go out and just get after it. And I think that's that's a really we cool. Love to, we like want, them, want the audience to make it feel like as if they were there. That, yep. You know, the over the shoulder, like you're so involved in what's going on that it feels like it's happening. You yeah. Know? yeah. That's kind of our goal. Bunch of raw emotion. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. And Ryan, so let's talk a little bit about you. You come from a different area of the country. Yeah, definitely a, a lot different. I'm from Southern Oklahoma, actually. I uh, grew up in Texas and I'm just a big whitetail hunter. Um, I've been traveling out West now the last couple of years though, and really, 
really falling in love with it. Maybe trying to drag drag the wife out west at some point and uh and uh, maybe pack up camp from Oklahoma, but that's still uh to be determined. So yeah, just uh just a whitetail hunter photographer and that's really kind of what I uh call my bread and butter. Yeah. Well, and your that- type of whitetail hunting is the tree stand yeah, style mainly? Yeah, I mean completely uh what you would think of your um your perfect kind of uh rut style whitetail hunting. I mean um last the last couple of years though I really haven't uh I really haven't hunted out of much of tree stands as much as saddles. I mean I'm a saddle hunter now. It's super mobile, super easy to get in. Public land it makes it super easy to to uh set up quietly and and uh, so that's kind of what I've been doing the last couple of years is just kind of um really focusing on knocking down some big whiteies. Yeah, and that's that's a cool area of the country. I mean, Oklahoma's been on my radar for a while. I just actually haven't well, by the time this one releases that that episode will probably be out, but I did one with someone from Oklahoma. We were just talking about all the different regions and it's it's yeah. very diverse, cool. Super diverse and super uh people hate me saying this, but uh super public land friendly. And a lot of good whitetail states aren't like that. A yeah. lot of good whitetail states these these days are all um private lands texas is like that i mean 90 percent private lands um but oklahoma you have a lot of opportunity i've killed a lot of mature five and a half year old deer off of uh public land in oklahoma so it's definitely a spot to check out if you're in the uh yeah into public land whitetail hunting yeah and texas is a little bit different texas is different i'm only 30 minutes from the border um and but it's absolutely amazing where we are um, i know we've spoken about this a couple times it's yeah. i'm in one of the few counties that's bow only so we get to let those deer get mature um and shoot some absolutely giant deer, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's all about who, you know? Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's, which I did, I did find like when I was doing some research for Spartan Forge on Texas, there is, there's more public land than people think the percentage is low, but the state's so big. Exactly. And and then there's also like some of those good areas take draw on a permit. So it's almost Mm -hmm. like you have to put a strategy together to try to. And a lot of it's down South, a whole bunch of it's down in the Southwest part of texas a whole bunch of public land down there but uh, what you run into with texas is their gun season um so our gun season opens in texas in uh first week in november and goes through january so it's like i mean on a lot of the public lands as well you you get that uh that gun season that runs into the into um all these different public lands allow it so it's like you're you're sitting there and there's an orange army out there of just like hundreds of guys on an 800 track you know piece of land and it's like not even worth going to but i know some guys who are public land killers in texas though they do so it can be done no that's it's cool it's just not it's usually not someone like a diy guy's first thought of a place to go yeah that's that's for sure but no ryan you're definitely an extremely talented photographer and put together some good stuff and and that i enjoyed taking a look at uh some of your content and stuff and i got to meet you you actually met you when you bought one of my shirts for sure i got that shirt here i was gonna break it out at some point i should have broke it out now that's what you should have (laughs) did i know i should have done that but no it's 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 cool it's cool to get to meet all you guys in this event you know to be able to bring it together so huge thanks quiet cat pulling pulling this off and and you know allowing us to to come here and and do this and it, all out of our element i mean it's all different I oh mean, for sure absolutely. you know we're hunting farm country and i hunt you know the big woods you hunt the southern oklahoma and stuff and you guys are hunting all wide open shit yeah. like yep. it's just it's completely it's fun different. to change it up though you it, know? Is. it is it is it's fun. this is what you want whitetail hunting to be though right yeah this yeah. is like your typical what you see on tv style hunting and it's absolutely amazing they their farms out here with quiet cat are um, in performance outdoors are top notch for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's funny cause all of us, when we came in, we didn't realize that we didn't know that this was going to be a guided hunt. We thought we were all going to be coming out and just kind of figuring it out and doing it. And at first, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I was a little kind of disappointed cause I was like, Oh, I really wanted to just, the, but what I did is like, I was like, all right, let me change like my mindset here. Let's learn from these guys that know this stuff really well. And yeah. I've been just picking Ron who's been here for 25 years or something. Yeah. Dude, it's just a book brain. of knowledge. Yeah. Just learning <laughs> literally like, like what he knows about mature whitetails and how they respond to pressure and how they re- move and do all this stuff. Like that guy knows so much. I've yeah. learned a ton from, should write a book. from that, yeah. that, that can be applied to, you know, whatever. So I thought that was really cool for sure. But uh, so let's let's start off with a little bit of uh, your guys' season. So like, uh, 
I because I don't I don't know like I, I was just kind of blown away. I felt like at the whole entire month of September when I was out elk hunting, I'd get service like every three or four days, just enough to pull up Instagram to see Connor with another big deer, <laughs> Colby with a deer. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, it was just insane. Honestly, it uh, started August fifteenth. Yeah. yeah, or we went to Wyoming first. Yeah, yeah. So we went to uh, uh, kind of central, north central Wyoming there for uh, antelope, and we drew this unit. Uh, that I'd drawn uh, the year before, and it's a real small unit. I'm talking like it's 20 miles by 5 miles wide, like super small, but you can draw every year. Like you don't mm-hmm. even need a point. You could get it as a leftover tag. So I went there last year, and we hunted it, and there's like literally probably five square miles of public ground in this and unit. So a good chunk of it's landlocked. Yeah, too. it's very tough, and the landowners out there are, you know, Wyoming never knows Wyoming. for the You got animal. the coordinates? <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but anyway we start off there uh Caden and i both had antelope tags colby was along filming it was kind of our first hoorah you know getting this whole chasing the wild thing kicked off yeah so we're pumped we're going into season like let's drill some goats and we get there and we got our freaking asses kicked i mean for about four four days i mean we couldn't get on goats and i'm like this is wow this is off to a great start here you know yeah and um so we just kind of packed up ship and headed back to the home state of South Dakota for goat opener there. And we had a lot better. We have a lot more ground there. You know, we know some good landowners. So we've, we were really excited to get out there and uh, got to South Dakota. And it was just unbelievable. We had Crispy in camp there and Caitlin. And uh, I think we went, we shot six goats yep. in uh, three days. Really? All with archery. Uh, every single one was spot in stock except for Caitlin and Cody's, I yep. think. yep. So it was like, that was an incredible start after just coming off the low in Wyoming. So we were able to head to South Dakota, head to the home state, kill a bunch of goats. And uh, we killed my we killed my goat, which was a crazy ordeal. I mean, it was, that was our first thing we'd got on film was yep. that antelope. And it was a long poke and it was just like picture perfect. So we packed. So now we got, you know, the vibes are good. And we have a early season whitetail hunt um, in central South Dakota there and it it's on the reservation, so it opens about a week earlier than the state ground does. So we get there, and you have to have a uh, a guide on that Indian reservation. But thankfully, my buddy, one of my good buddies, is a part native, so he's technically a guide on the reservation there. So we go out there, and man, their style of hunting is so different. Like we get there, and we're expecting, you know, your typical like hike back in. You know, you set up your tripod, your glass, yep. you go from there. This this homie was just literally bombing through like on the res they could just do anything on that travel ground and, and, so there he's just literally and dry. His board raptor yeah. we're just going down <laughs> these draws up these draws just ripping across like I was just like, blowing out deer commercial. left and right and <laughs> yeah. I'm like I'm like whatever like I'm just gonna not even say anything let it let it go and uh, <laughs> then after the the first day I'm like okay hey, we gotta we gotta do something different here because we're blowing these bucks out and yeah you can maybe get back on them but for the most part they're in the next county you know so we. Uh, Changed our idea, changed the game plan a little bit, and um, we uh, just did your typical. We walk back into this. It's a mile-by-mile section of tribal ground with real deep, steep cuts and this and that, so it's kind of hard to glass, so we just kind of kept having to go over ridges. And that's where we shot that big velvet whitetail. We got in there about half. Connor was just like, one more ridge. One yeah, so like one as we're going in, I'm just like, because you can't see below these, there's these thick draws. Yeah. And we had honestly, we're going in there after meal deer. They'd killed some good meal deer bucks out of there. Go in there and um, we, we're, we're actually getting ready to head out because we hadn't seen yep. anything. So we're just getting ready to hike back out and uh, Colby looks over. Well, we were on this like little peninsula thing. Like we were just sitting there, I don't know, like 10, 5, 10 minutes. Yeah. And we're sitting there and we're like, all right, let's just head back. Like we're done with this flip around we start walking maybe get like 20 yards into our walk and i just out of my peripheral vision i was just like oh there's a mule buck like i was like let's get after it or whatever because we really weren't seeing too many good bucks or just bucks in general in the area for for what i thought so we were just going at it it was like 120 120 inch buck maybe yeah if maybe like small mule deer buck like like 125 yards from us on the side hill like up against this embankment in the it was shaded so we wrapped around. Yeah, so we wrapped around, got on top of him, and we're, you know, we're obviously filming. So it's a, 
we only have two days to hunt this, so I'm like getting ready to shoot this 120 inch mealy buck just because it was sweet. We were right on top of him, and all no longer. Yeah, it's I was, a really cool experience. Yeah, yeah. So I was sitting, I'm just getting ready to rinse this thing, and I look down the bottom, and there's this 150 inch whitetail just cruising. So instantly, my mind changed from this mealy to this whitetail, and he's moving up into a draw. There's those he big was moving long, pretty quick. Too. Yeah, so we just swing around real quick, start. Uh, still hunting the draw pretty much because not knowing exactly where he was going to be. We just slowly moved in there. And um... Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. And I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. We had gone all the way through the draw and no sign of the whitetail buck. And there was the last pocket where he had went into. So we were like, maybe he, at this point, I'm thinking maybe he like got in front of us somehow. That's how quickly he was moving. And then my other thought was like, maybe he just last spot we saw him, he bedded down in there. So then I get on my hands and knees, start crawling up, thinking that I might shoot him out of his bed there. Yeah. And sure enough, he must have just been milling around in that little bottom. And he comes, we meet in the middle at about eight steps and I just drill him. <laughs> I mean, just freaking center punch him at eight. It all happened so quick. He went, tumbled. It was just picture perfect. Another yeah, picture perfect. Connor, I love the video oh. of your reaction. It was just <laughs> like priceless, dude. Excitement. Emotion, like raw <laughs> yeah. emotion. That's literally, what, I thought I was going to have a heart. I literally yeah. had a lay I literally couldn't speak. I was just sitting there. I was like, what is happening? And Connor's like, dude, I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> I'm literally <laughs> having a heart attack. <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was amazing. And then from there, we... Uh, what happened after that? Then we just started killing mule deer, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Did your brother got on a stud muley in the in the Dude, Milo. That one's a story. Yeah. That yeah. one has like a big story behind it. No, that. he's talking about snoots. Snoot. Wait, what? His, I thought snoot. you said Cody. No. Man. So no. we just pretty much killed uh, state bucks from then on out. And uh, we had a run-in with a buck that we called uh, Buttercutters, a big muley buck. And for some reason, we just couldn't seal the deal on him. Uh, it was like this whole – we had eight days to hunt him. Before we went on our uh, Utah elk hunt. So I'm like, eight days, you know, we should be able to. And this is, keep in mind, this is our, like, first year of actually having the time to do this. Normally, I'm working a nine-to-five job only yeah. on weekends. So to, I'm thinking to myself, five, eight consecutive days, there's no way that we're not going to get an opportunity to sling an arrow at this buck. Anyway, it just didn't work out. Just wasn't happening. Um, then we headed to Utah. Had a great hunt there. My older brother killed a bull. We, we were on a, actually a lot of elk. It was a kind of my first time doing a backcountry type elk hunt kind of everyone's first time so it was yeah. a great experience you know learned a lot and uh, uh was able to kill that bull cody was and uh then from there we came back to uh south dakota it was about middle of september and um i shot a whitetail buck over a water hole there uh which was kind of cool because i never killed one over a water hole it, yeah they came it was it's so weird though because those the whitetails out there there's not really a way to pattern them compared to, you know, whitetails in the Midwest. There's yeah. no pattern whatsoever. It's almost like a mule deer. You know, they just kind of do their thing one day here, the next day they're there. But I'd had a cell cam set up on a water hole, and they were hitting it uh, pretty consecutively. So I shot a buck over that. And uh, 
that used up my state tag, so I wasn't able to chase the big mule deer, the butter cutter buck. So I was uh, kind of bummed out, but, you know, everything happens for a reason. So I yeah. was happy with the buck. And then that's when we went to, uh, just on a whim, we went to Wyoming. and that's Like the next day, it felt yeah. like. Literally, we, I logged on. Well, it was literally like we were just kind of in a lull. And Connor yeah. was just like, dude, let's ball out. Like, like as, as Bo was saying, though, it's like I log on to Instagram and I see the, the water hole buck. And like the, I feel like it was the next day you sent me a Snapchat of just <laughs> as the story you'll get to in a second. But yeah, insane. it was just a couple consecutive days there of uh, just getting blessed with uh, amazing bucks, amazing opportunities. But like I said, we just turned around, shot that buck over the water hole ripped over to Wyoming, that uh, same area that I, we started off with goats. So the goat hunting, when we started August 15th, we'd seen some good mealy bucks. Okay. So that's – and I had a, a general tag for that same uh, – that region there. So we knew there was some good bucks in the area. So we wheel out to Wyoming with two days to hunt before we decided – I think we were heading to Minnesota. I don't remember. It was from from Wyoming. We only had two days to hunt, though. So we wheel out to Wyoming – get there and uh we actually got a hotel room normally we just stay in a tent but i'm like yeah it's, it's gonna be a little cold yes, tonight yeah. we're gonna treat ourselves we get like a 50 dollar hotel room kind of let me tell you this we rolled up and we we're like oh god what is this gonna be literally kind of a if scary. you haven't been there at least once on a hunting trip mm-hmm. it's not a good hunting yeah trip. So, I, I, yeah i bet i've been to a hotel in ohio the one time it was late season of january it was freezing cold i was by myself and i was like I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay in a hotel. I'm not sleeping in my truck. So I, I find the cheapest motel that I could find, yeah. and I literally had to bring my sleeping bag in and put it on top of the comfort because oh, yeah. it was like covered <laughs> in hair and all. <laughs> like it was just disgusting. The bathroom, like the the drain wouldn't drain, and it was just like. Ugh. I don't even know how you can make it that gross. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it was just disgusting, and I, you know, tried to complain, but the front desk person was barely coherent, right. and it just wasn't. <laughs> Definitely sounds like Ohio. Yeah, it just was not not working out. Sorry, then, everyone. Then, in then, Ohio. Then, then I didn't see any deer, so that yeah. didn't help either. <laughs> but you're never gonna forget those experiences. No, those yeah. greasy hotel rooms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. But anyways, greasy hotel room. Yeah, yeah. So we get to the hotel room, and uh, or no. Sh- We'd, we'd hunted goats that night. We went out chasing. Oh, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, we went out chasing goats because I still had that goat tag. Yeah. And uh, that was a crazy night, though. Yeah, on. we chased goats. Didn't, I mean, they were running hard. So you but, found some then at that point? Yeah. So we, there was this, the one uh, little mile by mile section of public just always holds goats. They just move in and out of there. We call it the G spot. Yeah, it's a little muddy <laughs> spot. Um, but then we went to the spot in, uh, it's landlocked. So it's landlocked where these mule deer bucks were when they were hunting antelope and they'd gotten permission from the one landowner on the north end to access this uh public this landlocked public and then we got permission on the south end to access it as well so we go in there access this uh landlocked public this is the next morning so we stayed in the hotel room we got up real early to go in after these we had one day yeah so we have one day to hunt now (laughs) we get into this landlocked public we get out there real early in the morning it's like 4 30 and it's windy. I'm like, talking like 50 mile an hour it, gusts. It's moving. Bad. We crawl up to, and we don't really know what's in the area, but we know that there's good deer in the area. Yeah. So it was, we just kind of out on a whim, and we get in there about a mile, mile and a half, and uh, we were actually having to stack our packs up. Like we, had, we were stacking the packs up to try to cut the wind, and I'm laying full prone with yep. the spotting scope. Trying to like dig something up. I'm just sitting there like this, trying my hardest to keep my binos steady. And if 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 anyone doesn't hunt mule deer on here, just keep in mind always glass. Like that's literally what we do is just glass twenty four seven. It's the key to all day. Yes, yep. you got to put the time in. Yep. Just and you never know when they're gonna stand up. You're just gonna have to, you got to be quick with it and you got to catch them. You know, at the yeah. right, at some point they'll make a mistake and present themselves out in the openings there. But. Uh, we hadn't honestly been glassing that long. It was about a probably half hour, hour into daylight, and uh, Colby spotted this uh, this muley buck about half mile to a mile out. And it's so windy that it's hard to tell how good he actually is. And we're like, I'm looking, I'm like, I mean, he looks like a 155, 160. And for a muley, I mean, that's decent, you know, especially for public land. Yeah. And only having one day to hunt. So I'm like, yeah, I'll kill that deer. And then we just kind of kept it in the back of our mind. We just finished glassing out the whole area because you never know what else is going to be in there. And uh, we had decided that was the buck we were going to go after, kind of our only option at the time. So we make a big loop around to get the wind right. And the wind is still moving, like 
real good. Like, yeah, there, there was no guessing on which way the wind was going. Right? No. <laughs> exactly. So we make a move. You need the milkweed. Yeah. <laughs> we make a move all the way around. And these bottoms are filled with cattle. And I mean, there was deer everywhere. Yeah. Like, so literally we're, we're everywhere. We're blowing deer out, like, as we're going. I'm like, uh, you know, there's no way that this, this homie's still sitting up <laughs> over the ridge. And we didn't even know where he bedded down. We lost him as he went into a ravine. Yeah. So it wasn't, like, picture perfect, knowing where this thing's bedded down, going to come up over the hill and whack him. But we make our way around and got on some more deer, just kind of kept our eyes open and then got to the spot where we thought we'd last seen him. And I, I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to crawl up over the hill as Kobe's glass and other deer. And I just leave my bow, everything, and just crawl up over the hill. And I pop up over and he's no more than 25 yards away standing there. And he like kind of turns his head in my direction. And I just instantly hit the ground. Or I'm already like on the ground, but I like really get into the yeah. ground and slide back out. But at this point, it was such a quick glimpse that I'm thinking, I honestly thought he was a 160, like 155, 160. And I'm like, oh, I'm still going to rinse this thing 100%. So I, I crawl, love that term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I crawl back, get the bow. Kobe's there. He gets the camera. We crawl back up. And at this point, I pop my head up, and he's down in the bottom. Um, he ended up being 37 yards, so he'd moved a little bit about another 10 yards. But we pop up, and I'm trying to get a range. And keep in mind, the wind is blowing so much, and there's grass that's – I mean, like when I shot him, the grass was covering his body. So there's a lot of grass. It's hard for me to get yeah. a range. And the only way to do it is to range his rack. So, of course, I'm looking through the range finder, and all I see is – now I know, like, 180, 190-inch rack. I'm like, oh. We're dealing with something good here, boys. Yeah. <laughs> and I get the range, 37 yards. And I did it three different times because it, it looked further away. It just I don't know if it was the grass or something throwing me off. But anyway, I get the range, 37 yards. Dial my uh, option in. Come And I was, I'm shooting a hinge. And I come back to full draw. And like, I'm leaned over. I'm on my knees, like l- bent completely over. So I'm like parallel almost with the ground. So I'm like drawn back at a super weird angle with a hinge. Like, I'm coming back full draw. Honestly, I was kind of worried. Like, is this going to – am I going to be able to pull this off? Because I'm so used to shooting a thumb button that I was never had to worry about that. But yeah. I had a big thing of target panic. Had to switch over to a hinge. And uh, I was able to come back to full draw. And I'm getting right back to full draw. And my arrow comes off my knock. As this buck now is looking – directly at us at 37 yards i still am kind of angled with the ground so i'm not fully presenting myself but i'm like and colby's filming right over my shoulder you know yeah. like and my broadhead is now like getting close to my strings i'm like oh no and i can't really do anything because i don't want to move too much as this buck is looking at us so i'm frozen colby is filming while trying to grab my arrow <laughs> out of the rest <laughs> It was what? like just an- this period of time felt like honestly two hours. It was like taking so long. I was like so frustrated. Yeah, <laughs> it was like everyone's panicking, but Kobe was able to get the arrow out surprisingly as he's filming. It's all on film too. Once we release the video, you yeah. can see just this whole play of events go down. But he gets the arrow, I, and the buck goes on alert. He just is like whatever because it's so windy, dude. I'm getting by with quite a bit of movement. Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, I let down. Get my composure back together, re-knock the arrow, come back to full draw. And I'm sitting there, everything's feeling good, and I'm just easing into it. And I'm waiting for the click of my hinge. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what's going on? Like, I feel like I'm right on him. And finally, I just freaking dumped it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I couldn't wait any longer because it felt like years it's taken for this hinge to go off. But it's 37 yards, so I'm like, I'm just dumping it. I've done it before practicing just yeah. to see if I can dump it. And I shoot... And it's so windy, and there's so much commotion. There's no, I can't hear a whack, nothing. He didn't even react. He just, like, ran off. And I could, obviously couldn't see my arrow because the grass. So I'm like, instantly, dude, I thought I missed him. Like, even when I shot, I was like, I just missed that deer. I thought I shot right under him. And, like, I wanted to cry. I wanted to freak out. I was just, like, at a loss for words. But this deer took off down on the bottom, and we were up on top. So Kolbs and I ran to the very top of the knoll to try to lay eyes on him. And I didn't even have my binoculars on me because I left him right where I shot him. So all I have is this little rangefinder, And I'm just looking through this huge bull. There's deer running everywhere trying to lay eyes on him, maybe thinking I could get a second opportunity at this buck. We're looking, we're looking. I can't see anything. I like for this goes on for about five minutes and we're just like there was a whole range of emotion going on too. Yeah. like I, I had this feeling because so there was this little spike buck that was hanging out with one he shot mm-hmm. and he was just acting weird he was just hanging around like normally all these other deer are taking off but this one's just lingering around like acting really strange so it gave me a gut feeling like maybe you did hit it so 
we're just going through these emotions, and Connor's looking around, and from the point of view we were at, you could have seen this deer no matter where it would have ran. Like, we would have got eyes on it again. And Yeah, so then we, we're looking, nothing, and I'm, like, getting to the point of I almost want to cry. Like, I, I at this point, it wasn't no 160-inch deer anymore. I knew what he <laughs> yeah. was. I was range yeah. finding him at 37 yards. <laughs> I was I was very upset. But uh, so after five minutes, we're looking, and then I got this weird feeling. I'm like, you know, maybe I did hit him. And that, sure enough, I looked down on the bottom. He was 100 yards right there. I double-lunged him. No Oh, yeah, way. he ran 120. What kind of luck yards. is that? Like, usually it's completely opposite. You're like, oh, yeah, I smoked that deer, and you completely miss him. <laughs> yeah, no. I no can... one ever thinks that they, <laughs> you know, completely blow a shot and then double-lung him. Like, <laughs> who does that? Yeah, that well, is Well, when awful. we saw I lo- I cried. I, no, like, no, saw like, he literally, like, when he said that, we, we were just trying to, like, collect the fact that it was dead still, and then I just look over, and Connor's just full-out bawling his eyes out. <laughs> I lost <laughs> at that point. And then that's when we just laid our hands on him and – uh just a truly unbelievable giant deer. I mean, I'll probably not kill a deer like that for a very long time, especially with the bow. So super yeah. thankful, super blessed to uh, have the season that we're having so How far. big was he then? 198. 198. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my. Three tritons on one oh, yeah. side. I mean, he's yeah. honestly. Two, fork. I, I saw the pictures, three, but I don't know how to judge mule deer. Right so he's like, a, realistically, he's 170, 175 mainframe, typical. Yeah. And then his junk just adds up. I mean, oh he's got, God. and he's real heavy. He's just like a beautiful, like the most beautiful yeah. deer. And he's a very good scoring deer just because of his junk. You yeah. Know? yeah. And so, we're, and we're not fishing here, so it's gross scoring on that. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if he netted, I mean, shit, his one side's probably 10 inches bigger than his other side. Yeah. Just That's just such When we were scoring deer. it, like I, like, I didn't even shoot this deer. Like, I got to experience it. And when we came to the final score, I just, like, had to walk <laughs> away. And I literally started crying. Yeah, I was he like, lost I. It. I was like, I, I never thought I'd see a big deer of that caliber go down in my life. Just that, amazing. That is insane, mm-hmm. dude. That's just such a cool. And it's it's funny how like, well, I, I like just like you know, if anybody's listening to this, and you're like, holy cow, man, these guys really got into bucks. But it's the thing that you said about the glassing and like, oh, you know, yeah. you guys are putting in work. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's so much that goes in and the middle of that. Like, like do you do you find these deer like. Do you, is it just from just glassing the, just the same thing over and over again, like just gritting or how are you? Yeah. So how we do it is, uh, I like to pick like, uh, depending on how far I'm like, let's say I'm just glassing a mile out with a spotting scope. So your field of view is decent at a mile out. You know, you could still pick apart things. I'm going to say a mile and in. Yeah. And what I like to do is just with my own eyes, before I even get into the glass, I like to pick a section like. You know, from your shoulders out, you could say. Yeah. Just kind of make a line, you know, as yep. f- far as that goes. And then get in with your spotter and grid it. Grid your section, you know, yep. from there. And then go to the next one. And then before, I, I usually like to do two. And then from there, I re-go over them before I move on. Because deer move – and this is during – I'm going to – this is during, like, mid-morning. If it's, like, first half hour after sunset, I'm going to be <laughs> – Probably not even using my spotting scope. I'm going to be using a pair of 15s, a pair of binoculars, and I'm going to be moving quick because yep. those deer are going to be the on move. their feet. Yep. yep. So you got to make sure you take, you know, yeah. you use that time to uh, find them before they bed down. Once they bed down, then that's where I'm saying you really start digging. That That's that's really helpful tip. Like, mm-hmm. especially like, you know, people from the East or someone that doesn't do a lot of glassing because they're hunting like thick country. When you go out there, it sounds so simple. You look, yep. you look and you find deer, but it's not, there's, there's a strategy oh, behind absolutely. it. And no, that's, that's really helpful. And I know everyone I've interviewed that has been successful at spot and stock hunting, they all say they spot all day. They're not taking naps. If they do, they might rest their eyes for 10 minutes or so, but they're not like, you know, they're not stopping in the middle of the day. It's just constant gritting. And, and An- Another thing that I like to do um, as far as spot and stock mule deer hunting goes. Well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped. After playing around with a buddy's Hoy RX-8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. 
In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at themobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Let, like this goes back to glassing, let the glass do the work. Don't just go traipsing into this piece after the morning hunt because you're going to blow everything out. You know, you might get lucky and something might blow out and you can re-get on, but for the most part, you're going to blow everything out. I like if you have the time, at least give it a morning and an afternoon of prime time glassing before you move on to the next spot or before you, you know, move deeper in. So just make sure you stick behind glass, um, given the amount of time that you are, but uh, just stick behind glass as long as you can before you go and uh, start getting sent around in there and blowing deer out. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes, it makes a lot of sense. It saves, saves your legs a little bit oh, and, and you're not just, you're not just screwing yeah. everything up by going through it. Cause yeah, still hunting. They they have their advantages. They're bedded in a location for a reason. Until mm-hmm. you know yep. what they're doing or have a good idea, it's super difficult to. So do you find a difference with glassing like whitetails versus mule deer? Is it? Uh, I mean, yeah. So mule deer are gonna so whitetails. So we'll start with white whitetails. You're gonna have to usually catch them on their feet in the mornings. Uh, they'll they'll bed down in ditches to where you can't even see anything. Okay. You know? uh, it's not like a mule deer that's gonna bed up in the shade on the side of a shale cliff. You know where you can yeah. slowly work over and eventually find them. A whitetail, if you don't catch them um, on the move, coming from feed to bedding, there's a, there's not really much of a chance that you're gonna be able to turn them back up when they bed down. That big whitetail that you shot the first one was that was that in the morning or something? Yep, going that back? was uh, he was actually cruising around nine o'clock in the morning just randomly i don't know what he was doing it was he, rather late in the morning yeah he was just that's why i thought he might be better when i ended up shooting him because it was so late in the morning yeah. but uh honestly he must have just been uh it could even have been that he had came off food and he bedded down and the sun had already got to him and he was moving to a different bed you know yeah. with more shade for the rest of the day because a lot of the times uh deer that we get on are usually going to bed uh two times a day they'll bed sure. once in the morning and um their morning beds aren't going to be near as long as their, their afternoon beds are going to yeah. be where they're going to nest up for most of the day. Yeah, no, that, that makes, that makes total sense. That's, that's such a cool style. Like I know it's funny. Like when I was elk hunting this year, I kept thinking like there are certain situations where I think I would have, I could have done better if I just sat and waited, like almost like I'd whitetail hunt for elk and that, but I love the run and gun. I love, yeah. I love doing all that. And like, and that's where like, I think that style of hunting is so cool. Like it's so much fun. That could definitely be, that can hurt you at the same time though, especially if you have limited time. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys are out in the field, you know, they have months to get it done. If you only have 10 to, well, you have 21 days to, yeah. to get it done, but that's still kind of a limited time. So, um, Sometimes staying behind glass and it is great, but then sometimes you also have to be a little aggressive. You yeah, have to it's kinda, very you have passive to get aggressive. In there deep because if if you're just sitting there, if you have ten days to hunt and you're just sitting there and you're glassing them and they're a mile away and you're like, oh, you know, I don't want to blow them out of there. Well, that's true, but then you're never going to get on them. You have to yeah. make a play at some point. So, I know when I killed that buck in AZ a couple of years ago. Um, I glassed myself away for seven days. And then finally the last day I was like, man, I got to get up in there earlier. I have to get to a position where I can glass them up and make a play on them. That's exactly what I did. I became a little more aggressive, but smart. It's like strategic. It's not just going in there willy nilly and blowing stuff out. It's like, you know, you want to get to a spot, find them and make a play. And that's exactly what I did. I pushed in a little further, was a little more aggressive and didn't glass near as long, but then I made a play and then ended up killing them. So I feel like there's a good balance. Oh yeah. And even like us, um, when they, like I was going back to their bed two times a day, I honestly preferably like to go in after them on their morning bed, knowing that they're going to get up sooner than later. Because if you do get on them, you don't have to sit there and wait for, you know, four hours for them yeah, to get up. To and up, yeah. for the most part, they're going to bed in spots that 
normally they wouldn't do compared to their day, their their bed that they're going to nest it's up. A temper- so, it's a so temporary basically, bed. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So basically, they have a morning bed until the sun like shifts yep. or whatever, yep. and yep. then they'll get up. At and some they're going to move to the, the shade. Yep. So if yeah. you can find that shade, then like you might even be able to make a play on them there. But yep. yeah, they definitely. But you know, wouldn't you agree the morning beds, they're more vulnerable to getting a stock in on yeah, it because 100%. they're just kind of letting their guard down a little bit because they know they're going to, for the most part, I'm not saying every deer yeah. does this, but for yeah. the most part, they're going to uh, make a, a move to the uh, different bed for the day. Ah, that makes sense. And what was, so your, your Arizona mule deer there mm-hmm. from a few years ago, that was on an over-the-counter tag and everything in January then mm-hmm. you were out there hunting, right? Yeah, yeah. So I usually try to go out there every year, and Arizona is actually trying to make some changes to that, making it harder for us public land guys, but <laughs> um, had to throw that out there. But yeah, it was, uh, it's an over-the-counter tag. Um, they're changing up a lot of units right now, so just check the regulations on which, which units are open. They all have quotas now, but unbelievable hunt. I mean, some of the best rutting action that I've ever seen in anything. Um, and I've hunted Kansas Whitetail where they're rutting like crazy. But, I mean, I'd see 50 deer a day and multiple bucks just locking up, um, grunting all the time, um, and then just chasing. So, I mean, this last year we were on a couple of two hundos, man, and we just couldn't seal the deal. But uh, they were literally rutting too hard. I mean, chasing does, you, you would glass them, get on them, and they would run by you. Like, it was insane. So if you were to choose, like, a time frame to do that, Arizona? Well, it all depends. So it's like, if you want to go, um, say, Flagstaff area in the northern part of Arizona, they're going to rut in your December time frame. Um, and then if you want to go if, to southern Arizona, they rut more of your January time frame. So it's like, it's okay. completely different. That's, 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 yeah, that's good information there. Mm-hmm. So, definitely a fun hunt. Um, check it out. Uh, like I said, I got on that buck. I ended up missing about a 150 that morning. I uh, got on top of this this flat ridge with a whole bunch of elk wallows, and I was sulking because it was my last day of the hunt. I was eating a breakfast burrito, and I had my... Uh, Throwing yourself a pity party. I, I was, 100%. <laughs> I was thinking about the 14-hour drive home, eating a tag, and um, I was like, you know what? And this is something that Western, every Western guy that I've talked to, um, especially in Arizona, when they see I have a rattle bag with me, I bring some whitetail tactics. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, you don't rattle? And they're like, no. And I've rattled so many mule deer in, in Arizona that it's unreal. Really? I'm literally sitting on top of this ridge, um, well, this flat, um, this flat spot. And I'm like, I'm going to see if I can rattle it. Cause once I missed that, like 150, he didn't know what happened. He just kind of like looked around and kind of tried it off and he wasn't too spooked. I grabbed the rattle bag out and I hit that thing a few times, hit a dobly. And then all of a sudden I look behind me and I hear footsteps. This one, this 180 buck with double drop times head down, just snorting, grunting the whole time about ran me over. I had to reach when I reached to grab my bow is when he stopped because he saw me and I just pulled back as fast as I could. Didn't put a pin on him. Seven yards, heart pumped him. <laughs> That's oh my insane, gosh. dude. Ran have, 20 yards, piled up right there. and yeah. Have you ever tried using the um, the stalker decoys? Decoys? No, I haven't. But uh, no, I'm sorry. I did. This past year, I did. Uh, so that's what Joel killed that uh, 96-inch coos deer with. He was with, with a mule deer oh, decoy. Really? Oh, yeah. They didn't care. They just... Oh, yeah. You get by with so yeah, much. Like, a lot of movement. Oh, yeah. I recommend them to anyone. I, I used mean, to, use those quite a bit. Everything. Honestly, if I have yep. the chance... White tails, mule deer, especially antelope, you name it. Like the ones that go right on the bow, right? Yep. Yeah. Because it gives you, it, whether or not they actually come into the decoy, it gives you that extra second just even spot and stalking to get an arrow off. If they are kind of alert, then they'll look back. They'll see what looks to be a deer. They'll relax a tad in order for you to get an arrow off. Yeah. And I think it's helped me tremendously in um, taking some uh, really good animals. So this past year too, after Joel shot that buck, I was actually using an elk decoy on the on the front of it as well. I mean, I was using elk when I stalked up to a um, a buck. I was naked on the side of a ridge. There was no cover, and he was moving quick, going to bed down a wash. And I had one move, and it was either just just to go straight at him because it was. I mean, there was no way I could shoot that far, and I just started walking down the down the hill on a naked hill. He looks up at me, and I stop. Dude just looks at me, puts his head back down, and walks up, and I get to about 70 yards of him. I pull back, and that's what I was telling you. I've never seen a mule deer duck before. I jump a string, and that dude did. And uh, he ducked, and I ended up missing, like, right over his back. But, yeah, that got me an opportunity, an elk decoy. <laughs> Go for <laughs> Yeah, that's great. That, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It, it totally makes sense. Just giving them that, that second thought, you know, that, that might relax yeah. them or might make them, like, look for an extra second that you might need to be able to pull it Absolutely. off. Absolutely. Oh, that's that's really cool. I I just yeah I love 
I love the whole spot and stock style. I mean, I've been doing it in, in West Virginia last year was the first year that I did it. I'm going back this year doing it in the coal mines for whitetails, and it's so much fun. So do you do a lot of calling during your spot and stock style of hunting, or do you just moving in and just kind of – Still stalking? Just glassing. Oh, no, it's oh, just yeah. – it's, it's, You're sitting – because you could – it's literally like you're out west. Like I'll show you guys some photos afterwards, but my buddy Josh Elderton, who has the YouTube channel The Untamed, you have to watch his, their videos. It's insane. But that's what they do during the rut. It, and he does it all year, but he'll sit there and glass the spotting scope, and you might be able to see a mile across these giant steep wow. ravines wow. and, wait, and watch them cruising through. And then if they're cruising, you try to cut them off yeah. on what they call these valley fills, where they're benches that where they had filled in the, the reclaimed coal mines, and you try to get just above them if the thermals are coming up, and get to the one above them and shoot them as they come by, or if that you see embedded down, then mm-hmm. obviously your traditional stock. You definitely need to try out the stock of decoy then. Get one of the whitetail ones and just throw it on. Honestly, I'm... I th- Serious. And, yeah. like, during the that's rut... That's what I'm headed right after this right? trip. Yeah, 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 Predator. Yeah, yeah. And they, yeah, like, uh, during the rut, there's a high chance that if you find a buck that's aggressive enough, he'll uh, he'll come stomping in. Well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going there after this to... to put out some trail cameras and just do a couple days of hunting but i'm going down for a week during the during middle of november so i might i might have to Absolutely. buy one of those things and try it out <laughs> oh that'd be sweet that's They're this amazing. kind of guy's hunting dude oh, yeah. i yeah. mean that's your kind of white tail that's right what there. gets me going i mean don't get me wrong it's fun sitting in a tree stand and watching a big buck come under you but uh there's nothing that gets me going when you're on the being ground. on the ground is and that's that's tough. Like I've learned, like even just getting shots off oh, or yeah. like there's, you there's, have to make things happen. Yeah, literally, and uh, it's just it's such a like very like traditional way of doing yeah, it. Yeah, pure. Like, it's yeah, very pure. Yeah. That's the word and, I'm looking for. And I love the journey. Like there's yeah. like there's a whole lot more that goes into the story, in my opinion, when you get to like be on the ground with them. Absolutely. Like it's not yeah. just your typical interview in a tree stand, you know, and then the buck comes up. Like this is a whole story of you running in. You know, you could get it done right away or it could take you a while, you yeah. know, but uh, I just love the style of hunting and I plan on doing it for a very long time. And That's don't awesome. get me wrong, I do love sitting in a tree stand, but I yeah. would definitely prefer the spot, spot <laughs> style. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, hopefully by the time this comes out, I have more to report on how this hunt goes. But uh, we're pretty confident. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good. One the boys are gonna, due. Yeah, We're one, due. Of, us oh, yeah. Gonna, one yeah. of us gonna kill tonight. Been, Studley's going down. It's been cool. <laughs> it's been cool getting used. You know, the, the quiet cats and using electric bikes and stuff, and it excited is. to see other places that I'm able to mm-hmm. use them. Um, and for anyone that's listening, that's already messaged me, I know they're not legal in Pennsylvania <laughs> on public ground right now, um, but there are some. Pl- places that are private timber company properties gas company properties that will allow them um you have to call and ask yeah. on a lot of those things and it's every state's different but uh i think they're super and valuable i think they too. would be especially valuable out west too so oh if like gosh. any of the yeah. listeners plan on going out west 100 percent. so many ohv trails oh, absolutely and, and depending on each again the ohv trails i found that just about well they all as long as some of them you need a permit to do it but yep. you can ride them on all of those yep. and then uh some of the mountain bike trails depending on the state has things but yeah you can you can th- think about like one of the things that we're using on this other hunt uh in montana was night bugling you can take a ride oh, and cover and cover miles at night and bugle and try to locate elk and and I think that's a really cool tool. Oh, for sure. I was uh, I was in Colorado last year and it was my first time hunting public land in Colorado. Um, and we're sitting there getting our asses kicked. I mean, it was terrible time um, the first couple of days and we meet these uh, these older guys. I mean, they're all in their mid sixties. They all <laughs> had big beer guts on them. And uh, you wouldn't think they'd be able to hunt elk, you know, at all. And, and they'd been there for about maybe three or four days, and two of them had bulls. <laughs> um, and we get to talking to them, and they've been hunting the same unit for 27 years. And, um, and he said every single year out of the three of them, at least two of them get bulls. Sometimes all three of them get bulls. And I'm like, how are you doing this? And then he sat down, and he talked to us for about two hours in the middle of the day and um, about – you know, just locating bulls. There's no way these guys are, are hiking up these steep slopes like we're doing. And he's like, you're going too far. He's like, you're trying too hard. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, one thing in this unit I've learned, he goes, don't throw a big bugle. He goes, throw the squirreliest bugle you can. And he goes, and go road bugle. He goes, locate them at night. And then he was like, if you drive long enough, he said, you will find them um, close to the road, a couple hundred yards from the road in, in drainages and things like that. And he goes, they're not going to move far out of that drainage. Just be the first one in there. And that's how they kill them every single year. That's awesome. They've killed 360s out of there. I mean, they've killed a whole bunch of them. So. That's nuts. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, we're here, super fit guys who are uh, who think we know what we're doing out west, and uh, we're having hard times getting on goals. I don't goals. know if I go with the super fit side of things. Oh, no. <laughs> no. No, that is actually true as I'm sitting here drinking Kurz Light all weekend and eating muffins and cookies. So, no, but yeah, that I'm is. I'm getting my a... whitetail white diet on right now. I'm getting, getting on that it. That is but. a great technique, uh, especially like you just said, for those quiet cats. You could just run down logging roads all night long. Oh, super oh, yeah. quiet. And just freaking... It does blow me away how quiet they are, honestly. Oh, yeah. It's in their name. They're kind of like yeah. a cat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Literally. <laughs> kind of like a cat, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I appreciate you guys coming on and, and talking here. If you, if you would, just kind of go through where people can follow along with your guys' stuff. We'll start with Connor and just go down the list. And, and Absolutely. Um, you can follow me on uh, Instagram at uh, Connor.Brockhouse. And then, uh, like I said, our new uh, Chasing the Wild official is both the YouTube and our Instagram. Um, like I said, we're new, but uh, I would follow along where there's going to be a lot of things in the dirt. <laughs> More to come. I love it. That was a great sales pitch. <laughs> Ryan? Yeah, if, uh, if you want to check out some mediocre photography um, and just someone who likes to kill some stuff as well, you can uh, you can look at uh, Ryan Haynes or One Shot Outdoors on Instagram and and uh, see if you can follow along and, and like to see some cool stuff. So, If you want to see some decent work, not compared to, doesn't compare to Ryan over here, no. but you can follow me at Colby Geis, Colby.Geis on Instagram, and then be sure to check us out at Chasing the Wild. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Let's get some lunch and head out in the tree. Absolutely. For sure, for sure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.